So 1 John 5, 1 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to look back at verse number 3 because this is going to be kind of the central thought of the message this morning. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. The title of the message this morning is obedience is evidence of conversion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that is powerful and living and, and, and works in our lives even today. Thank you, Lord, for this epistle of 1 John that addresses so many needs in our lives and gives us comfort, but also conviction and, and, and confronts us, Lord, with needs in our lives. And I pray that your spirit through your word this morning would do that, that you would confront us in areas that need to change. But Lord, that you would comfort us in our relationship with you and our fellowship with you. And Lord, strengthen us. And again, Lord, I just want to ask, as you look down and you see each of our hearts here today and you see our standing before you, Lord, if, if you see anyone here who is not your child, who's never been saved, then Lord, I pray that today, through the preaching of your word, they would come to an understanding of their need for Christ and that they would turn to him and be saved. Lord, work among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As we've read and studied through this book together, it's been mentioned several times that one of the primary purposes of the book of 1 John is to really help uh, give us an understanding and, 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 and help us to find assurance and confidence in our salvation. As I have uh, witnessed to people over the years, one of the questions that I, I like to ask people when I'm trying to broach the subject of the gospel with them is I'll ask them, if you were to, to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Are you positive that you uh, are, are right with God, that when, when you stand before him, that he's going to welcome you home and not turn you away? Are you sure you're going to heaven? And if you've asked that question, you probably, like me, have gotten a pretty typical answer that is something like this. Well, I hope so. Uh, you know, I try my best. And I, I think so. I'm, I'm pretty confident. But when you look at verse number 13 of this chapter, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God wants us to know that we're saved. God wants us to, to have confidence and assurance 
of salvation. And we've spent some time talking about that. But when we come to chapter 5, we need to remember that context is important. And this book, though it sits today as a book in the pages of the Bible, uh, as originally written, it was a letter. And it was, it, we call it an epistle because it was, it was a letter. It was a letter that was written from the Apostle John to his dearly beloved in the faith. And, and he is instructing them and <coughs> excuse me, encouraging them uh, in their relationship with God, their fellowship with God. But this, this theme of assurance keeps coming up over and over as he's dealing with the, the fruit, the evidence in our lives of being children of God. Now, when we were in chapter 4, one of the things that we saw there was that the, uh, one of the greatest evidences of true salvation in our lives is a, a, a biblical, godly love for other people, specifically for saved people. That if you are a child of God, that you're going to love uh, God's people. In fact, if you notice uh, at the, uh, in verse number 2 here, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God. Uh, the end of verse number 1 says, Everyone that loveth him that begat, that's God, loveth him also that is begotten of him. In other words, if you love God, you're going to love God's people. This is just a, a normal, natural thing. If someone were to come up to me and, and say, you know, I really, I really love you, and I really appreciate you, and you're, you're such a great friend to me, and you're such a wonderful part of my life. I'm so thankful for you. I just love you so much. But I can't stand your wife. And those kids that you have drive me crazy. You know, I want to spend time with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be with you all the time. But don't bring your family around here because I don't like them. You know what I would say to them? You don't really love me. How can I say that? Well, because my wife isn't just part of me, she is me. Think about this. We're one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. God's joined us together. We're one in Him. You don't get me without her. And my children are one of the most significant parts of my life. I mean, you're talking about the people that I love more than anyone else on the face of this earth. I love my wife and my children. And so for you to say, you love me, but you don't like my family, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. You don't really love me because if you love me, you would love the people that I love. And this is the concept that, that, that he's talking about. If you love God, if you love those, if you love the one who begat, that's, a, that's an old English word, but it means to, to, to bring you forth or to, to birth you, essentially. If you love the one that brought you into his family, that adopted you and made you his child, it is normal and natural for you to love his people, to, to reflect that love not only to him, but to others that have received the same Blessing, And so that's the concept of chapter 4. Why is that important? Because when we flow right into chapter 5, we're going to get into this, this evidence of 
of salvation from a different standpoint than just the love of the brethren. But there's an interesting question or, or statement that's made in verse number 2. Because he says, by this we know that we love the children of God. And if you just read that without understanding the concept of chapter 4, you might scratch your head. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. But that's, that's where that comes from. So as we get into this, this passage today and these verses that we read just a moment ago, I want to break this down a little bit further for you. And hopefully we'll, we'll take a look at what the Bible has to say to us this morning as we look at this concept of how we can be sure and what is the evidence. If you are a child of God, what is the evidence of that in your life? We already talked about the love of the brethren, but, but he starts off with this statement in verse number one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I, I'm so thankful that throughout Scripture, not just in one place, one isolated uh, passage somewhere, but all throughout the Bible, we find the message of salvation. We find the gospel. It's important. It's, it, we're reminded. If you read through the Bible, you're reminded of salvation over and over and over again. This is the message of this text. The message is this. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That is how someone becomes a child of God. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see... Those people that I mentioned, if you ask them, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven if you were to die today? And their response is often, again, you know, I hope so, I think so. If you drill down a little bit further and you say, well, what is it that you're trusting in? What is it that you think will make you go to heaven when you die? They almost always go to one of two things, either their religion or their good works. They'll say, well, I was, I was baptized at such and such a point. And that's a, a very common misconception, but the Bible never teaches that baptism makes us right with God. Baptism does not save us. The, the, the washing of water, water cannot wash away sin. It's not the, the putting away of the filthiness of the flesh, the Bible says. The, 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 uh, baptism does not make you right with God. They'll say, well, I was baptized at such and such a point. Or they'll say, you know, I go to this church over here and I attend faithfully. Or maybe they say, and this is a pretty common thing these days, well, I don't really go to church, and I really don't, I'm not all that religious, but you know, I know God's got my back. And, you know, we, I, I know he's there and watching over me, and I, I talk to God, I pray to him, and they're just kind of thinking that somehow doing these certain things and, and being religious is going to make them right with God. Or they'll say, well, you know, I'm a good person. And I, I really treat people with kindness. And I try to help people. You know, I try to be a good citizen. And, and, I, and, and I'm a good person. And, you know, I'm not perfect. We're, we're, we're human. But, but I do the best I can. And I think God's going to accept me. I just want you to know, that is not what the Bible teaches makes us right with God. You could be a very nice person. That doesn't mean you're right with God. You can be very religious, and it doesn't mean that you're right with God. It doesn't mean that you're ready to meet him. Here is the condition. Here is the Bible condition for salvation. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ 
is born of God. It is not until you by faith receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you are born again and saved. That doesn't happen just by your good works or by your religion. It is by your faith in Jesus Christ. And we see it throughout Scripture. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, that Philippian jailer had asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? He probably thought they were going to give him some list of rules or things he needed to stop doing or start doing. And they simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Place your trust in Christ and you will be saved. John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is by grace through faith that we are saved, according to Ephesians 2. When you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> let me be clear about something. True faith, saving faith, is always accompanied by something the Bible calls repentance. Let me just read you a few verses. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 tells us of the beginning of the ministry of Christ, and, and this was his message. It says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. See how repentance is tied with faith there. In Luke 24 and verse 47, Jesus is commanding his disciples and says to them, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Acts 20 and verse 21 says, Paul says that he was testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 9 says, And how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The word repentance or repent literally means to turn. It is a turning from sin and a turning from self to God. Now some people have confused that and they think that that must mean then that until you clean your life up that you can't be made right with God or that somehow repentance is like some kind of sorrowful penitence that you have to do before God will accept you. But the word simply means to turn. It's a change of mind. It, it's like this. I'm going this way and I'm headed to the road of destruction and, and, I, and I'm living for self and I'm living for sin, but the light of the gospel comes in and shows me I'm lost and I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God and shows me that I can be made right with God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and I turn to Jesus and place my faith in Him, not trusting in myself, not trusting in my good works or baptism or anything, but trusting completely in Jesus, I place my faith in Him, and at that moment I'm saved. And whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whosoever has received Him as their Savior, that is the message. And this morning, if you have not placed your faith wholly in Jesus alone, to save you, I just want to tell you, you are not right with God. But you can be. You can be today by simply turning and trusting. That's the message. But I want you to notice the manner here. Look at verse number 2. This is the manner of those who are saved. This is the evidence. Look at this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God 
and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now listen, please hear me on this. It does not say that you're born of God by keeping the commandments, does it? No, because it clarified that at the beginning. Whosoever believeth in Christ is born of God. But here's the idea. If you are saved, if you have been born of God, here's the evidence. You're going to love God and you're going to obey God. There are a lot of people out there that if you were to ask them if they're saved, they would say yes. I, I, I'm saved. I, I, uh, I've done that. I've heard people say that before. I've done that. Salvation isn't something you do. It's, it's what Christ already did. But there's a change that takes place in your life. And, and those people will say, yeah, I, I, I'm saved, but, you know, I'm not really interested in church. I'm not really interested in, in, in these different things. And, and, yeah, I kind of, you know, maybe, maybe my life isn't quite right. In fact, there's a, uh, there was a saying, I, I don't remember if I saw it on a, a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or a coffee mug. Some of you have probably seen this before. And it's supposed to be cute. It's supposed to be funny. And it says something like this. Well, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. You know, and the implication is this, like, well, I'm saved, but I'm carnal too, and it's just kind of funny, and it's just kind of okay. And I just want you to know, we're, we are all sinners, but it is not okay to be saved and walking in disobedience to God. If you are a child of God, you should have a love for God and a desire to obey Him, a desire to do those things which are pleasing in His sight. This is evidence that God has actually worked in your life. That, that there is something in you. Listen. If you are saved, you ought to love God. You should love God. Remember Jesus spoke of that lady in, in Luke chapter 7. Who had anointed his head with oil and, and was washing his feet. And, and doing those things and... And he said that to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. The implication is this. If you've been forgiven much, you're going to love much. And folks, if, if we're saved, we've been forgiven much. I don't care if you got saved when you were five years old. Or if you got saved when you were 50 years old after a life of sin and debauchery. It doesn't matter. If you're saved, you have been forgiven much. When you understand what God has to say about people who are not saved, who we were, enemies of God, haters of God, that, I mean, it's just a reality, folks. That's by nature. Our sin nature makes us that way. We're lovers of self. We're lovers of sin. And I just want you to know you, you, go, you pick the most disgusting, despicable human being that you can imagine and the atrocities that they've committed and wickedness. And I just want you to know, you've got the same wicked heart that they do. But by the grace of God, I'm just saying, if you're saved, you've been forgiven much. And the result ought to be that you love him much. When you realize that he loved you when you were unlovable and he reached down to save you, man, that ought, to, that ought to do something in your heart that just stirs you up and says, 
I, I, I maybe don't know him like I ought to, and I maybe don't love him like I ought to, but I know that he saved me, and because of what he's done for me, I, I love him, and I want to give my life to him. I have some serious questions about someone who claims to be saved but has no interest, no spiritual interest, no desire to draw close to God, no desire for the word of God and to be fed by the Lord. Something is wrong. How can we be saved and not love God? So love for God is one of the evidences of salvation, but also notice it's not just love like this heart thing of, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed by love for God, but that love results in a desire to please Him, a desire to obey God. Verse 3 again, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Someone who is saved, someone who has the Spirit of God living within them, is someone who has a desire to be pleasing to the Lord. Does that mean that you'll never desire to please self? No. Does it mean you'll never struggle with the flesh? No, it does not mean that. It does mean that within your innermost being, you would honestly say, I, I love God and I want to please Him. In Psalms uh, chapter 40 and verse number 8, the psalmist says this, I delight to do thy will. Oh my gosh. What do I love to do? What, what do I desire more than anything? To do the will of God. To do that which God wants for me. I delight to do thy will. Paul said in Romans seven twenty two, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now, he was talking about, in context, his struggle with sin. But he made this recognition. Inside of me, in my spirit, who I am, I love to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of God. That's what I want. That's what I desire more than anything else. If you are a child of God, you ought to love him. And you ought to want to obey him. And notice the end of verse number 3. Not only do you keep his commandments, but it says that his commandments are not grievous. That word grievous, it means to be burdensome or weighty. In other words, if you love God and you're serving him out of a heart of love, it shouldn't be a slog. It shouldn't be like a drag. Oh, man. I've got to do this. And I understand, sometimes in church we, we get a lot of responsibilities and, and, and sometimes they can be a, somewhat burdensome. But I just, I just want to say, if we just set that aside for a moment, there ought to be something in us that says, you know, I really enjoy serving the Lord and pleasing the Lord. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that's like... God said, I can't do this, so I guess I can't do that. Now God says, I have to do this, you know. And I've known people like that. Man, I, I wish I could go out and drink and party, but I know I'm not supposed to, so I don't. Oh, I, I know I'm supposed to go to church, so I do that. God wants me to tithe, so I give them so. But they do it begrudgingly. Let me just say to you that God does not want you to serve him in that way. If, if it's coming from a heart of regret and frustration it's really God's not looking at your actions so much as he's looking at your heart and if your heart's not in it then you're wasting your time but if you're saved you can say wow look what God's done in me 
how he's changed me. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, Paul said, The love of Christ constraineth us. That word constraineth is such a, a, a fascinating word. It, it, it's a word that speaks of motivation, but it's also a word that speaks of um, like um, something that you cannot resist. The idea is this, and, and I, I grew up around the dairy farm. Some of you have worked with cattle before. I remember, I was telling my wife just the other day, when I was, I don't know, four or five years old, I remember uh, being, being put in different positions to try and herd cows where we wanted them to go. I mean, when you've got a 1,500-pound dairy cow with a calf, and you put a little 30-pound four-year-old in a gate opening, and you say, Brian, stand there, and if the cow comes at you, wave your arms. You know? And I remember times that, you, uh, that, that we would take these cows, and we were trying to funnel them to a particular area, whether it was to get them in a barn, or uh, oftentimes to get them on a trailer or a truck and haul them from one place to another. And one of the things that you see, especially if you drive out in the western United States, you'll see these, these corrals that'll have a chute, a cattle chute, and it's a real narrow chute that just basically goes up into the back of a truck or a trailer. And the idea is to get the, the cow or, or bull or whatever it is into that chute. Because then once they're in there, they can't turn to the right or to the left. They can only go one direction. You push them from behind. You get them moving that way. And they can't run off. It squeezes them right where you want them to go. That's the concept of constraint. To be walled in. And what Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 5 is the love of Christ constraineth us. The fact that God loved me and now my love for him keeps me in the center of his will. It keeps me in a place where I want to. I don't want to do anything else because it's not, it's not like these boundaries. It's not a set of laws that constrains me. It's love that constrains me. My love for him, that's what keeps me going the direction that, that I'm going. It, it's his, my love for God. This is evidence of salvation. Listen, if you're saved, you've got this. Some more than others. Some of us have quit listening to God and to his love and, 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 and to, to his word. And so we've become backslidden and away from God. But I'm just saying, if you're a child of God and his spirit is in you, there is love of God in your heart and a desire to obey him. It's not burdensome. It's not weighty. It's, it's, it's not a slog. It's a privilege to serve our Savior. It's a privilege. So he speaks of the message and then the manner, but then verses 4 and 5 speak of our master. Think about this with me. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous, verse 3, but look at verse 4. For, that's one of those connecting words. We're, we're taking the, the previous thought and we're building upon it for... Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now maybe you look at that and you say, how is verse 4 connected to verse 3? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Well, let me just tell you something about the world. The world works in just the opposite way as God does in our lives. 
When we get saved, God puts within us a love for Him, a love for His people, a desire to please Him. All of that happens, but the world works against that. The world is working actively in your life to try and lead you away from God. To lead you away from loving his people. And, and, and to lead you, rather than to obeying God, to obeying self and fleshliness. That's what the world does. When I say the world, I'm not just talking people in the world. I'm talking about the world system. This world we live in, sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's material things in the world that take our focus away. One of the things that was mentioned in the Sunday school hour was the busyness of life. And tell me that you haven't experienced uh, uh, some competition between service to God and the busyness of life. I know I have. There are competing forces there at work. And sometimes it can be easy to say, well, I, I you know, I... I do want to walk with God, but man, I'm just so tired from the day and it's hard for me to get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray. You know what that is? That's the world trying to lead you away from your relationship with God. Oh man, I, you know, I, I want to be in church and I want to be faithful in church, but, but, but I've got responsibilities at work that I need to fulfill and I, and, and I need to make money and and, and, and my kid is in, involved in, in this sport or this extracurricular activity, and I've got family obligations, and they kind of keep me away from the house of the Lord, and the world is competing against God and God's people. I want to do those things that God wants me to do, and I want to desire the things He wants me to desire, but it seems like every time I see what the neighbors have, and how much fun that those friends at school seem to have as they're out doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing. And I mean, it just, we feel this pull away, don't we? It's the world competing against God in our lives. And sometimes it can, it can feel like a losing battle. But whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Child of God, you don't have to walk in that. You've overcome. Christ overcame, and Christ in you draws you unto himself. So as the world seeks to keep you from living for God and loving God and serving God and loving His people and, and, and obeying the Lord as the world strives to pull you away, you need to understand you do not have to submit because you have overcome by Christ. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Verse 5, who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Saved people overcome. Saved people overcome. Whatever it is in your life, and I understand for some people, things, pressures, difficulties are, are, are maybe greater. Listen, if you're here and you struggle with an addiction, I recognize that the pull of that addiction may be stronger than some of the other people sitting next to you face. It's real. 
And I'm not minimizing that. But if you're saved, I just want you to know, you've already overcome. There is victory for you. Maybe you have family that's resistant to God's working in your life and, and, and they're trying to keep you. I empathize with, with, I mean, I can't empathize in the sense that I've been there, but I, I, I really feel for ladies who have a, a husband who maybe doesn't have the same spiritual desires or convictions and is, is actively working against what God wants to do in your life. And I've watched it, I've seen it, I've experienced it from the standpoint of, of being involved in a, in a family where that was, my, my, my grandmother wanted so desperately to live for God and serve God and obey God, and her husband, my grandpa, resisted it for so much of his life, made it difficult for her. I understand your struggle might be harder than someone else's. But in Christ, you've overcome that. In other words, this takes away the excuses. If you're born of God and you have His Spirit living within you, you're going to love Him. You're going to obey Him, and it's not going to be a burdensome and grievous thing. It, it, you're going to love his people. Why? Because of the work that he's done in you. Because it's real. And so the, the question this morning from, from our text really is this. Is it real in your life? Do you, do you love God? Are you serving God from a heart of love? Or have you allowed the world... To overcome your faith. Maybe today you're here and you. Christ isn't your master. Because if you aren't saved. Your master is the world. Your master is our enemy. The devil. You don't know anything different. I'm just saying today you can know a different master. By faith you can receive Christ and overcome the world. Do you love God today? Are you obeying him from a heart of love? Let's pray.